it is Adrian Lawrence and I'd like to welcome you into TYT's The Conversation. And this time we have a face you may be pretty familiar with. That is Mr. Andy Hale. Thank you for joining us, Andy. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Andy, now I know you do a lot in terms of um, getting people who have been wrongly convicted end up getting them their freedom back. And that there has been a big case um, recently that was so incredibly significant in Missouri, Kevin Strickland. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Incredible case, you know, Kevin Strickland was in prison for 43 years, uh, just got released last week. Um, when what I thought was striking about it was that the prosecuting attorney's office was so involved in reinvestigating the case and looking into the case and conducting a month long investigation that ultimately led to Kevin's exoneration. That was so great to see because oftentimes you just don't see that kind of initiative or interest in overturning a really big long case. And I thought that was just stunning. And I was so impressed by what the office did to investigate the case. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that is so incredibly rare because generally prosecution offices, they do not want to at all kind of look at the errors that were potentially made. And can you speak to the errors in this case? Yeah, in this case, you know, it was it was witness misidentification. We know according to the Innocence Project, out of the 350 DNA exonerations, 70% of those involve some kind of witness misidentification. It's one of the biggest factors in wrongful convictions, witnesses just getting it wrong. And it's also a case where there was no physical evidence linking Kevin Strickland to the crime. It was all based on the testimony of this one witness. She originally said that she did not know the third offender. Kevin Strickland was somebody she had known for several years. She wound up talking to one of her friends who said, hey, this kind of sounds like Kevin Strickland. And I think that got in her mind that maybe it was Kevin Strickland. But it really is just a sad case of a witness getting it wrong. And I think what we've seen this before is once witnesses identify somebody, it's very hard to undo it. I mean, she reached out to the Midwest Innocence Project in 2009 and said, hey, I think I got this wrong. And people are afraid to come forward. But witness misidentification is unfortunately one of the biggest factors in wrongful convictions today. Yes, and unfortunately, you know, having people actually come forward and admit that they made a grave mistake—that's something that is very rare, as well. And to advocate for the individual that they wrongly had accused. And so, in this case, when she came forward and said that, "Hey, I think I got this wrong," can you speak to kind of her journey in terms of getting Mr. Strickland his freedom? So she first sent an email to the Midwest Innocence Project in 2009. Now she passed away several years ago. But according to family and friends, you know, this has been something she had been talking about and wanting to do. But to the prosecutor's office's credit, I've got, you know, the prosecutor wrote, it's an eight page letter that they wrote to the attorneys for Kevin Strickland. and. It talks in there about once they found out that the eyewitness had basically said she got it wrong. They went in and did a whole investigation to see if there was any other evidence corroborating guilt or innocence. And 
they, you know, I think one of the other strong factors was one of the co-defendants, Kevin Bell, at his guilty hearing plea back in the day in 1979, he said Kevin Strickland was not there. I mean, he volunteered that information in court. He wound up identifying all four people that were involved in the shooting. And I think one of the problems that happened is there were red flags back in 1978 and 1979 that people did not follow up on. When Mr. Bell said that Kevin Strickland was not there. And in fact, what he said was, I'm pleading guilty because he was so concerned because Kevin Strickland got convicted and he's like, and he wasn't even there. So Mr. Bell was like, I don't wanna have a trial. But back then, when, when, when he said that, there should have been a reinvestigation into Kevin's case. You know, there was, it was credible testimony. He identified the other people, you know, and so you always see red flags, but you don't have people that take it seriously. That's been a historic problem. Absolutely, and so Mr. Strickland had been, I believe it's one of the longest cases of individuals being released or exonerated. And so for 43 years, that's a long time. And when you think about what kind of compensation is this man gonna get? Not that you could actually pay someone in monetary or any other kind of value to take away that long of their life. But in terms of what the state will give him, Missouri, do you know what that looks like? Well, in actually, Missouri will give him nothing. In Missouri, compensation is only to somebody who is on to someone who is exonerated by DNA evidence. Kevin's case does not involve a DNA exoneration, so there's not an avenue for state compensation. The other difficult part for Mr. Strickland is it's not a case of police misconduct. You know, it's it's a case of a witness getting it wrong. There may be a, be a component of was she forced to pick him out? I don't know enough about that. Um, but really, uh, they should have a system in place in all states where, like in Illinois, we have a system. You can get a certificate of innocence from the court, uh, does not have to be a DNA exoneration. And then you can get state compensation if the court finds you are actually innocent based on the length of time you were incarcerated. Um, there should be a way for somebody like a Kevin Strickland to receive compensation. And even the state compensation statutes in Illinois, the maximum is about $250,000. I mean, that is a pittance, a pittance for what this man went through. But I was encouraged to see that his GoFundMe page has raised, I think, well over $1.5 million, over 20,000 people contributing to that fund to help Kevin Strickland get on his feet. I thought that was amazing because people reaching out to try to help him, you know, get, you know, get back on his feet. That that was incredible. Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely fantastic. And the thing is, he's probably a lot better off with that Go um, GoFundMe account, in part because he doesn't have to pay legal fees for it. So that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> be a lot better than any kind of reward in court. Um, but in terms of uh, cases that you're working on, since you specialize in the exoneration area and wrongful convictions, can you talk a little bit about what you are currently facing? I've got a big one right now. Um, it was a case, uh, my client was named Chester Weger, W-E-G-E-R. He got convicted in 1960. Let me say that again, 1960 of a triple murder at the Starve Rock Park here in Illinois. And 
I've been representing Mr. Weger for the last several years. Uh, I believe he's innocent. Um, he was incarcerated for over 60 years. And we just won our motion to do DNA testing, which was so exciting. And I was in, literally in court yesterday when that order was entered. We're gonna have that evidence shipped out next week to a laboratory in Virginia. We're gonna have a bunch of physical evidence that still exists from the crime scene, hairs uh, and other evidence. Uh, we're gonna test that. And I got my fingers crossed. Um, there's also gonna be a big special on the case uh, appearing on HBO December 14th and 15th called the Starve Rock Murders uh, talking about the case. Um, so that's one, I mean, it's unfathomable to think, you know, somebody who's 82 years old now and spent 60 years in prison and that person could be innocent. So that's been the one that's taken up most of my time. And I've got some other ones. I just wish I had more time in the day. Um, and I've got another couple I'm working on um, for some gentlemen that I think are innocent. Uh, these are difficult cases to prove. I mean, it just, it's so time consuming. And I feel guilty if I'm not spending every waking moment trying to advance the ball for these guys. But um, there's no more rewarding feeling, I think, to a lawyer than getting somebody out of prison who shouldn't be there. Yes, I can imagine that must be so incredibly heartwarming, as well as just feeling like you are part of the justice system and getting justice actually done, which is really big. And I know right now that there's a lot of talk in the media, at least about a gentleman who has just been essentially exonerated for the accused rape that he had faced of the woman author. And forgive me, I have forgotten right. her name. Yes. It was the Netflix producer who when he was working on the Netflix special felt like this just doesn't add up. It just doesn't make sense. And it was remarkable that you've got this Netflix producer who basically you know, had the interest and the compassion and the dedication to spend the time to really dig into the case and to figure that out. It was remarkable. You know, and, and we sit here today, According to the Innocence Project, um, their conservative estimates are 1% of the population, prison population can be wrongfully convicted. The prison population, according to the prison policy initiative is 2.3 million people. I mean, we could have 23,000 people currently incarcerated uh, who shouldn't be there. So it's important work. I just hope that state's attorney's offices can follow the lead of Missouri. That conviction integrity unit did their job. Uh, they really rolled up the sleeves and took a hard look at it. My experience is that doesn't always happen. So kudos to the Missouri prosecutor's office for really doing their job. And one last thing I can say, what they said in their letter is a prosecutor's job is to seek the truth before, during, and after a trial. And that is so true. Yes, it is. And we are very grateful to have individuals like you and those prosecutors in Missouri and elsewhere throughout the country who are working to ensure that it, everything was done right and that innocent people are not held any longer in prison or in any way held down by society for something that they did not do. And so can you remind our viewers where they can watch that HBO special and when? Yeah, it's gonna be on HBO December 14th and 15th. It's gonna be called the Star of Rock Murders. 
it'll it'll involve my client Chester Weger, who was the person who got convicted of it. It's gonna be a three part series. I think it'd be really interesting for everybody to watch and check it out if you get a chance. Thank you so much, Andy. We we enjoyed having you. And I'll also have some updates on my Twitter page, Andy M. Hale Esquire ESQ, about some of those media projects. Great. You ready for another conversation? It's Adrian Lawrence and I got one for you. This time it's Senior Communications and Political Director at United We Dream, Bruna Solid. Thanks for joining us, Bruna. Thank you, Adrian, for having me. Yes, so right now there has been a big push, at least there was a big push in terms of immigration reform. And we had 90 Dems who are out there advocating. Can you tell us what is happening or what happened? So lots of things happening this week, Adrian. Just today, the Democrats and Republicans met with the parliamentarian in the Senate to pitch to her the proposal to add work permits and deportation protections to the Senate version of the Build Back Better package. Now, we don't know what's what the parliamentarian could say. We don't have any news yet. But I think what's important about this process is that it's not about the parliamentarian. It's not about these procedural arcane rules of the Senate. It's about people, the lives of millions of people. And ensuring that Democrats deliver citizenship for millions of people would mean deportation protections, would mean that families like mine wouldn't be afraid of family separation. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of times when we talk about these political things and these bills, we forget that at the end of the day, it's really about changing the lives of, of human beings. Yes, and human beings indeed. There are a lot of lives out there that are impacted by immigration reform. And right now, in terms of the movement and actually getting the necessary support, where do you think things need to go? So I know a couple things, and that is that we have a midterm election in 2022, and that Democrats in 2020 ran on a bold vision to not leave anyone behind. They ran on a vision to protect immigrants from deportation and from the attacks of Republicans and Trump. They ran on a, a, a vision to protect black and brown people in this country from various other attacks. We are gonna hold Democrats accountable to that. And so we want them to deliver in the Build Back Better package. We know it's necessary. There's a lot of great things in the bill, um, like paid family leave, childcare, healthcare provisions. All of those things impact all of our families. But at the end of the day, we know that if Democrats don't deliver this year, they run the risk of voters not being enthusiastic, especially in states like Arizona and Nevada, where the Latino vote and the youth vote and the black vote was so critical for Democrats to secure their win. So I think, you know, as we're debating on immigration and build back better, it's really about do Democrats have the political will and the moral will to get this done? Yes, and we are gonna have to see that definitely during the midterms. Um, but in terms of, I guess, the true um, the resistance and what the agenda will be when it comes to the Republicans and trying to stop immigration reform. What do you expect what is going to come out the most or what kind of, I guess, angles do you think they're gonna use? Well, we know Republicans are obstructionists, right? We know that they do not wanna pass immigration reform. Even though if you think about it back in 2008 and 2013, senators like Marco Rubio and senators like Lindsey Graham, they were pro passing immigration reform. They were pro passing citizenship, but their party has you know, consistently shifted to the right. Now they're not coming to the table at all. You know, I'm sure that they will, senators like Senator Cornyn in Texas will continue to 
um, speak, speak ill of DACA, a program that protects myself from deportation right now. Um, they'll continue to try to obstruct and not get citizenship to pass this year or any protections for immigrants. But I think it's important that at the end of the day that we remember we don't need Democrats, we don't need Republicans, right? Like Democrats have a trifecta of power. They have the White House, they have the House, and they have the Senate because of the American people. We went out, people, voters went out to vote in the middle of a pandemic. Voters in Georgia went out earlier this year to vote and to put Democrats in power so we could see these changes happening. And so it's not really up to Republicans of getting in the way. We know they will, but Republican Democrats need to stay strong and be able to deliver for the voters that deliver for them. Yes, they definitely need to stay strong. And there have been a few out there, Democrats, you know, whether it's Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema, who have really been obstructionist to a certain extent, much aligned with the Republican agenda. And so I think there are some concerns that they could get in the way. What would you say, I guess, to those individuals or say to their constituents who who we should really try to sway so that we can get the immigration reform that's necessary? Well, when talking about you know Senator Kristen Cinema, she was only able to get elected in a state like Arizona because of the Latino vote, because of the black vote, because of the youth vote. She's there because of those voters, and those voters voted for bold policies. They voted for immigration reform. They voted for things that are included in Build Back Better. I think Kristen Cinema has forgotten who put her in power. Right? She's catering right now to donors and not to her own voters. Um, but I think the people of Arizona have been very outspoken. We've seen over the last few months a lot of action, a lot of folks putting their bodies on the line, getting arrested, doing hunger strikes, you know, meeting her at the airport or you know on, on a plane. One of our own members, Karina, uh, who lives in Arizona, saw Kristen Sinema on the plane and talked to her, and she told her, like, "I'm at risk of deportation right now. I'm your constituent. I need you to deliver for me." I think you'll continue to see those things happening. But I think what you'll also see is if Democrats don't deliver, and if it's because of senators like Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, then we will hold Democrats accountable, right? There's the midterm elections, but there's also a lot of other ways of holding Democrats accountable to ensure that they deliver for the people that put them in power. Yes, they definitely need to deliver. And for some reason, if they're not, hopefully those midterm elections will have an impact, even though I don't necessarily know that it will on cinema. But in terms of the work that you're doing at United We Dream, can you tell the viewers what your agenda is and what do you focus on? So we're the largest immigrant youth led network in the country. We were started by young undocumented people who wanted to organize in their communities and wanted to change the lives of their families. Um, and we do a lot of work to ensure that we're advocating for pro-immigrant policies in the, you know, in in Congress. But we're also doing the work in our communities to ensure that states like Arizona um, and Texas and Florida, states that a lot of our communities live in, are passing pro-immigrant policies. Um, you know, just this year um, in Miami-Dade, for example, we were able to work with the Miami-Dade mayor to pass community IDs. And I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, maybe to citizens who have driver's licenses. But a community ID can change the life of an undocumented immigrant, right? Um, you need an ID for a lot of things. You can go to Home Depot and rent um, something from Home Depot and they ask you for an ID. So that makes a huge difference, right? We're fighting for deportation protections to defund ICE and CBP because we, can, we know it continues to exist. It doesn't matter that Biden is president. Detentions and deportations and family separation is still happening under a Democratic president. That is the reality that we live every day. If you're an undocumented immigrant in this country, it doesn't matter who's president. If ICE and CBP continue to exist and get billions of our tax dollars, 
then we are at risk of being put on that pipeline and being deported from the place we call home. So those are the issues that we fight for. And we're a group of like tenacious young people, young people of color, queer people. We're led by a lot of immigrant women. Um, and so I think you see that in the work that we do. You see that in the actions that we take. You know, our parents taught us to be resilient and to continue to fight for this because, like I said, this is our home. We're here to stay. So the fight, you know, you'll see it in the next coming days and weeks, but I think you'll always see it from us because, you know, our goal is to make this country a better place for all immigrants and all people of color. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate the fact that, as they say, we are all immigrants, but also too, how much individuals who um, who migrate to this country or who come here, how much they contribute and make it the wonderful place that it is. And so if there are people out there who are watching who are kind of uncertain of the value that immigrants may bring to the United States, um, can you speak to the value what a lot of people may be missing here? Yeah, I'll speak about my own family. Um, I am from Brazil and I grew up in Florida, um, undocumented. My parents were essential workers, are essential workers, have always been, but certainly were during the pandemic. They risked their lives every day. They continue to go to work while some folks got to stay home. Um, and they risked getting COVID and they didn't have health insurance. And that reality is the reality for millions of immigrants across this country, right? Whether you're thinking of the farm workers who put food on our table, whether you're thinking of immigrants who worked in the healthcare industry or as caregivers. We risked a lot to be able to ensure that this country came back from the pandemic and we're still doing it. And we have no pathway to citizenship. And what that means, you know, pathway to citizenship can feel broad and big picture, but that means no access to healthcare, right? That means no deportation protections. That means no access to other government benefits, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So. You know, our fam my family is uh, rooted here. You know, we not only contribute to the economy, but to the culture of this country, to the communities we are a part of. And it's been 35 years since Congress has delivered any sort of federal legislation to protect immigrants and to give us a pathway to citizenship. So it's about time that millions of immigrants are, you know, fully seen for for their worth, but also their humanity. At the end of the day, immigrants are human beings. And we're deserving of citizenship just solely on the fact that we're human beings. And I think sometimes you know, that gets lost in the story. But like you said, we've been living in, in these communities for decades. Um, and we're, what we're asking for is what we need and also what we deserve. Absolutely, what you deserve indeed. Uh, it does seem to be a very good uh, point, the fact that we have a lot of immigrants out there who are working, contributing to society, paying taxes and making this world a better place. So I know you just have a few more seconds or minutes left. So uh, is there anything you'd like to say? I think I'd like to speak to the allies right now. You know, the allies who, when there was family separation under Trump, you came out to the streets. And you fought for immigrants, the allies who fought to protect DACA at the Supreme Court. We need you to be outspoken in this moment. It's really, really important for us to be, you know, ensuring that Democrats do what they need to do to deliver for all of us. Again, the Build Back Better package will benefit all of us, not just immigrants. But it's really, really important that immigrants don't get left out and that we include immigration protections for millions of people that will be life changing and it'll change this country. And I'll set the precedent. So I'm really calling on you. If you're an ally, you don't have to be an immigrant. You might not even know an immigrant. Um, but if you took action with us during the Trump years, we need you to take action right now to get Democrats to deliver immigrant protection this year through the Build Back Better package. 
Yes, that is something we definitely need. And I really appreciate all of your insight, your contributions, your hard work. The team you've brought together sounds incredibly progressive and they're looking to bring us forward into the future because we do need to ensure immigrants have the proper protections. And so if people wanna know more about your work, where can they find you? They can follow us on Twitter, Twitter at United We Dream. Excellent, thank you so much for joining us. It's Bruna Solid from United We Dream. Thanks so much, Bruna. Thanks, Adrian.